Well, what a beautiful vision of the, the land of cloudless day and the city four square coming down out of heaven. God wiping away all tears. And this is taken from Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And if you want to turn to Revelation 21 and 22, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. It'll be our sermon passage. We're going to take a closer look at, uh, at the end, the end of all things. But before we do that, I'd like to take a little time, a little moment for some reflection. Uh, we're in the season of reflection with New Year's. We have the opportunity to look forward. But we also have the opportunity to look what was behind us in 2019. We had the opportunity to look at those resolutions that we broke back in 2008, the end of 2018 and to do some evaluations, but also to take a look at maybe the spiritual goals that we set for ourselves. And, and there's always room to grow in terms of prayer and, and scripture reading and meditation and acts of service and I want you to think about, if you would, what are some spiritual goals that you would like to set for 2020? Well, James mentioned our renewal Sunday, January the 12th, and we're going to have some opportunity, not just January the 12th, but in a series of about four or five weeks to take a look at some different goals that we can set for ourselves in 2020 and to really think about what God is doing in our lives, how God is interacting, how we are becoming more Christ-like? Where is God calling us to move? In what direction? But this morning, as we think about 2019, I would like to once again dip into the well of our theme for 2019, which was Emmanuel, God with us, which really could not have been more timely for our family. In many ways, God with us sustained us and is sustaining us right now, even as we speak, as I know that theme has sustained many of you who have gone through trial in 2019. But I'd like to throw out this question for us to think about in terms of reflection. And one of the downsides to living in this fast-paced society is that there's not a lot of time for reflection. We move at a, a breakneck pace. We're always moving forward. We're always busy. We don't leave ourselves a lot of time to pause and to reflect. And when we think about it, that's really where growth happens. It's when we're able to look back and, and put some pieces together. And I hope that over the next few days we'll take some time to look back and to think about where God has led us and where God is leading us. So here's a question for us to ponder, and we're going to leave some time for us to think about this, a little moment of silence. Here's the question. Looking back in 2019, where have you witnessed God's presence with you? Where have you witnessed God's presence with your family? Try to think of some specific instances where that occurred. Let's, let's take a moment. I hope there were some, at least seeds of some things that came to your mind. And what I would hope is that you would carry that on in the car with your family, that conversation. What, did, what came to your mind in looking back? Uh, maybe 
at Chewy's over lunch with your friends, just take a moment and talk about that, where you sensed God, God's presence with you in 2019. A year ago, we began to work through the Gospel of Matthew, and that theme of God with us permeates that book from beginning to end. You think about the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. And then the very end of the book, after the cross, after the resurrection, Jesus leads his disciples to a mountain. And you remember his last words to his disciples, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Think about Matthew's gospel, where it says in Matthew 18, that where two or three are gathered in my name, which is a nod to the the power of community, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. But it's not just Matthew's gospel where we see this theme of God with us. When we take a step back and look at the whole breadth of Scripture, we see that theme leaping off of every page. And So what I would like to do is a brief survey of where we see God with us in Scripture as we move toward the end, the end of all things. And we see it in the opening of Scripture, the opening scenes of the creation in the Garden of Eden, God walked in the cool of the evening there in the garden. He interacted with his creation. He, he interacted with the people. He had conversations with them. And even after the great fall of man, when sin was unleashed into the world and sin infected and touched every part of the creation, God sought ways to dwell with us. You think about the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, the story of God redeeming his people, of God rescuing his people from their slavery to the Egyptians. God leads the people to a mountain. And you read the book of Exodus, there in the middle of Exodus, you have these chapters about the, the, these instructions of, of how to build the tabernacle, this, this tent with this elaborate material, materials that harken back to the creation, that harken back to the Garden of Eden. This tent where where it had a special room, a special chamber called the Holy of Holies, where God's glory was present. It's in this tent where, in a sense, heaven met earth. Heaven and earth overlap. I like what Tom Wright, how he describes the interaction between heaven and earth. We did a study that Mel Witcher led us through in the fall on Wednesday evenings on Simply Christian and And the way Tom Wright describes it, he says, heaven and earth are not far apart as sometimes we typically think about it. There are these these small pockets, these small holes where there's this overlap between heaven and earth, and they, they merge. And the tabernacle is one of these places where a holy God dwells among sinful Israel. And that That presence continues later on in the more permanent structure of the temple there in Jerusalem where the Holy Holies existed and there's this this curtain of separation. God with us was there among the people. And years later, when everything falls apart for Israel, when they are sent into exile, when they go off to to Babylon, God gives a vision to one of the prophets, Ezekiel, who's part of that first deportation And Ezekiel has this vision of the throne room of God. He has a vision of the throne of God, and on the throne, there are wheels. Ezekiel has a vision of a mobile throne. God is with his people wherever they may be. He's not confined to a temple made with human hands. 
And then later on in Ezekiel chapter 37, God gives him a vision of a valley of dry bones, very dry and very dead bones, a picture of where Israel is, a dead people. And God in this vision reconstructs those bones and gives them muscles and, and skin and breathes the breath of life in them. And then God says this to the people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And this comes to fruition centuries later with the coming of the Messiah, the one who describes himself as the temple of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So the Messiah, Jesus, is the temple. Jesus is that that intersection, that place where God is present with his people. Jesus is the place where, where heaven and earth meet. And even after Jesus is raised from the dead, even after he ascends to the Father, he pours his spirit on the people in a fulfillment of that vision of the valley of dry bones on the day of Pentecost. The spirit fills the church, and now the church is the presence of God's dwelling. We just did a study on 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, Paul describes the church as the temple of God. The church, the people of God, now carry God's presence. It's the church, the people of God, where now heaven and earth intersect and meet as we gather around this table the continuing presence of the body of Christ in this world. So when we we look at Scripture, that theme of God with us leaps off of every page, which makes me think God with us is what this story is all about. It's why we are here. It's why we are created, so that God can dwell with us, so that God can be in relationship with us. But what does that look like in 2019? What does God's presence among us look like? Well, it it looks like what it's always looked like for the church. It's not always obvious. God is not present with His people in an overbearing way. We are a people called to walk by faith and not by sight. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to read it through a couple of times to help us hear it. But this is what C.S. Lewis says about God's presence. He says, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with Him. He walks everywhere incognito, and the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to attend, in fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. He walks everywhere incognito. The incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor, the real work is to attend to that presence, in fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. And I I think Lewis is really hitting on the challenge of the presence of God today. God is, is always with us, but so often in a concealed way. And I like that term, incognito. 
that God is with us under the radar, often in ways that are not obvious. I like to think of God's presence, and I think our children can think about this, especially uh, whenever you, you wake up at night and you're thirsty. And I don't know how it is at your house, but de- dehydration hits us right about bedtime. But it's not just with kids. It's with adults as well. Trying to walk through a dark room, even a room we are familiar with, there are obstacles. There are things that can hurt us. And so what do we do? We have these little, these little night lights that give off this soft glow. That's how I think about God's presence. We have this soft light coming to us. It's enough light to find our way, but we still have to pay attention. We can't just run through the house full speed at night, but we do have to let our eyes adjust. The light is there, but we have to focus our eyes on that soft glow. That is the challenge and the plight of the church, walking through a dark room, but seeing with the eyes of faith. That's been the challenge all along. That was the challenge for the churches there in the book of Revelation, which is where we now turn our attention. Revelation is written to all of the church for all time, but there are seven specific churches that are receiving these letters, these visions that we find in Revelation, and these churches are going through some things. These churches are being persecuted It's not the full-blown persecution that we see later on in church history where people are asked to renounce their faith or they're told to renounce their faith in Christ or else they would be killed, but we have the seeds of that already starting. And what we have in Revelation are, are people who are being pushed to the margins. They're being pushed to the margins socially and economically. So many of the business deals were done at the pagan temples And what we have in Revelation is this call for the people to not assimilate to the practices of the pagans. And, well, there's a price to be paid for that. And and these churches have questions. They have some faith questions. They are confessing that Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is King, and Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Jesus is present with His people, and and yet on the ground it doesn't seem that way. On the ground, it looks as if Rome is in charge. On the ground, it looks as if Caesar is in control. On the ground, there's a big price to pay for allegiance to Christ. On the ground, it looks like things are not going as they should be if God is really in control. And I I think those types of questions are the questions that we wrestle with today. Revelation gets a rap for being a frightening book, and it is... It should be. God is not someone to take lightly. But it's an extraordinarily relevant book. It's also a book full of hope. We look around us. We see the chaos on the ground. Chaos on a global scale. We see see chaos nationally. We certainly see chaos run amok in our own lives. We live in a world where bad things do happen to good people. We live in a world where the wicked do prosper. 
We live in a world where the church continues to be persecuted. We, we heard, we saw the articles this week of, the, of the, a group of violent men in Nigeria who are claiming and, and bragging about how they slaughtered Christians. It's happening today. We ask ourselves the same questions, the same kinds of questions. Is God really in charge of things? Is, is God really present with His people? Is God really with us in the face of tragedy and in the face of injustice? Well, these are the kinds of questions that Revelation speaks to directly. Even the word Revelation itself is an answer to those questions. The word for Revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis, apocalypse, which means unveiling. It means disclosure of those things that are formerly hidden. And it's in the book of Revelation as, as the church makes its way through a dark room with just that soft glow of God's presence it's in the book of Revelation where the lights are turned on for ever so brief a moment. The shades are pulled up and we see things for how they actually are. We see the right ordering of things. What we're given in the book of Revelation is a view from above. We're given a view of heavenly worship eternal worship we're given a view of the gathering of the saints and the martyrs and the heavenly host we're given a view of the power and the majesty and the strength and the wisdom of the one who sits on the throne and of the lamb we're given a vision of the unfolding of history not in some specific way of america china and the russians but rather in broad strokes, it's the story of the powers of this world wreaking havoc on the church and God sustaining the church, God with the church. We have a vision of how this is all going to play out at the end with the powers, the kings, the forces of darkness meeting their end, the evil one and all of his unholy alliances and even death itself being given a decisive blow at the end of all things on the day of judgment. The book of Revelation gives us clear vision, even if it's for a brief moment. We see things the way they actually are. Well, that's my introduction. Roger is here this morning, and I remember a quote he said about preaching. I think he bought this quote. Roger is a quote machine, but he said that uh, when you're preaching, you want a strong introduction and a strong conclusion, and try to get those as close together as possible. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, don't have much of a middle. But I want to close with all that thinking about God with us and thinking about what we just heard in the book of Revelation, what we're about to hear, I want us to think about the end. I want us to think about where all this is headed and how God with us plays into that story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few verses from Revelation 21, and then I'm going to jump to chapter 22, 
and then have a few closing comments for us to consider. So if you would, let's listen to the Word of God from Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Hear the Word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God bless the reading of his word. Oh, we could spend all morning on that and into the afternoon talking about this new world that will be ushered in and this idea of the new heavens and the new earth and the city four square coming down out of heaven. And 
Did you catch the direction there? The city four square coming down out of heaven, which raises all kinds of questions. Are we going to heaven? Or is heaven coming to us? Well, that's another sermon for another day. But I would like to leave us this morning with a theme that leaps off of every single page of Scripture. And here at the end, it is taken to its climax. God, in His new world, brings a city. And in the city, there is no temple There are no more holy of holies. There's no more boundary. There's no more curtain of separation in the new Jerusalem. God's presence fills every part of the city. It fills every part of this new creation. And in thinking about C.S. Lewis's quote, God no longer is incognito. God is no longer the soft glow of the little nightlights we have as we navigate this dark world. We no longer have to feel our way in the dark, looking for God's presence, attending to that presence. At the end, the lights are turned on. They're turned on to the max, and God's true intentions for humanity becomes crystal clear. Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Yes, no more need for these small pockets, these small holes of overlap between heaven and earth. In God's new world, the two converge. Heaven and earth meet in incredible ways, and we as human beings see God's face. That which has formerly been denied us, not even Moses could look upon God's face. Human beings will see God's face, and what is the result of that? What is the result of that kind of presence? What is the result of that kind of intimacy with God? It's this. He will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So here at the end of the year, we see where this is headed. We see a picture of things to come. Something that we get a small taste of even now with God's presence among us through His Spirit. But until then, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we attend to that soft glow of God's presence among us. And that's my prayer for this church in 2020. That we would dwell even more fully. That we would attend in even more intentional ways to God's presence among us as we wait for that day when God is going to wrap all this up and make all things new.
and dwell fully with his people. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, is good news. That's what we're waiting for. If you'd like to respond to the invitation this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.